horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you with us, riding shotgun as it were. And we have our producer on hand, Eric Ryder. He's going to keep us on the level drive toward Hot Springs, Arkansas, home of Hot Springs National Park. That's where we're going today. And it's a big deal. It is anyway, most days, but especially in 2021, because this is the 100th anniversary of Hot Springs Park as a national park. It was designated such on March 4, 1921. But the natural and social history of Hot Springs goes way, way back before then. So much to tell. And we're going to get the story from Ashley Weymouth, who will join us for the interview today. This is American Road Trip Talk, and the interview is coming up right after we hear from our friends at Visit Ridgeland. Visit Ridgeland presents the Art, Wine, and Wheels Weekend, Friday, April 30th through Sunday, May 2nd at the Renaissance at Colony Park. The weekend includes the Ridgeland Fine Arts Festival, Natchez Trace Century Ride, the Run Now and Wine Later 5K, and the first-ever Friday night kickoff party. For more details on festival artists, wine samplings, music lineup, and children's activities, go to artwineandwheels.com and follow Visit Ridgeland on Facebook. Hashtag Visit MS Responsibly. Alternative Talk 1150. Online at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Trip Talk. Ashley Weymouth is an experienced park ranger and the anniversary coordinator for Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas. Originally from Laredo, Texas, Ashley has lived in Arkansas for just a little over a year. She holds a master's degree in environmental education and has spent the last decade organizing community events, working in outdoor education, in environmental advocacy, and for the National Park Service. When not in the park, Ashley can be found hiking with her pup Layla or swimming in spring-fed creeks. A very natural lady at a natural wonder indeed. Ashley Weymouth, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Delighted to have you with us. And all I can say is, wow, it must be great to be you these days getting up and going to work in the morning. <laughs> it is. I, you know, arguably I have the greatest job ever. Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas is, as I understand it, adjacent to the municipality of Hot Springs. So it, it must be a very accessible park. It is. Yeah. Hot Springs National Park is so unique that way. You know, we are a very urban park. In fact, it often happens when people come to the park, they're expecting something more wild and something a bit more like Yosemite or something like Mount Rainier. But instead, you know, when they arrive on one side of this very busy street is the National Park and on the other is literally downtown Hot Springs. So you can sort of like walk between the two very easily. And sometimes, you know, the boundary just gets blurred between them. But beyond, um, our park extends like 5,500 acres beyond just our downtown section. So we do still have a lot of wilderness and areas where you can escape the hustle and bustle of city life. But we pride ourselves on offering both this urban and wild landscape all at once. And when it comes to the establishment of hot springs, 
as a park, as a preserve. Tell us a little bit, Ashley, about how Congress decided what they were going to do with the land way back when. Yeah, so in it was actually in 1832, Hot Springs was set aside as a federal reservation. So when people started learning about the thermal waters that flowed here and the possible therapeutic uses for the, th the thermal water, Congress decided that this was a place that should never be monopolized and should be a place where people could come freely as often as they needed to receive the benefits from the thermal water itself. And so in 1832, Congress set us aside as Hot Springs Reservation, forever protecting this land and protecting the water that flows here for public enjoyment. And we existed many years as a reservation, and it wasn't until 1921 that our name was changed from Hot Springs Reservation to Hot Springs National Park. So one of the big things that we like to say is that we are one of the oldest pieces of federally protected property in the United States. And a lot of lessons that were learned here as you know, one of the country's first reservations were used when creating the National Park Service itself. So it, helping to establish a pattern. And in order to do that, my sense from doing a bit of reading preparatory to our encounter here today is that there was a lot of intelligent planning and preparation that went into taking natural features and maintaining them and restoring them in their purity, but not so much as, as a natural tableau or a set of natural features as much as something that could be put to wholesome public use. That's correct. And who was behind that? That's not, it seems to me you'd have a brain trust. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot, it just, it mostly depends on the era of time that we're looking at, you know, so um, a lot of that originally was just Congress kind of figuring things out, eventually creating a super, like assigning a superintendent to the park who created a lot of these rules and standards that the park could follow to make sure that things were maintained. Um, but there was like a hot springs reservation oversight committee, I guess we could call them, that dictated a lot of these early things. And eventually, um, Stephen Mather, the first director of the National Park Service, became involved and he also helped to influence the direction that the park went and laid a lot of these ground, like not ground rules, but a lot of the framework for us moving forward. In the name, Hot Springs National Park, I get it. Hot Springs is key to the whole adventure. So what about the natural features? I understand that uh, prior to uh, a recent addition that Hot Springs National Park was the smallest of them, and it was, it was grounded on the springs that were available from a nearby mountain. Tell us about the topography and how it was managed. Yeah, so Hot Springs, we sit... Um, in a valley in the Washita Mountains. And so we have 47 different springs that emerge at the base of what we call Hot Springs Mountain. It's very aptly named. And so this whole area, I mean, where we sit at the bottom of the valley, all of the springs come out in just this one half a mile area. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, these the springs are so mineral rich 
that they've created a lot of really interesting rock formations called the Tufa Rock. And a lot of that, I mean, it the park doesn't look what it, I mean, what it might've looked like had it been untouched by man. Um, because these springs are completely odorless, you know, so unlike a lot of the hot springs that you might experience on the West Coast, we don't have any volcanic activity that's heating up the water here. It's all heated simply by the water following these cracks and crevices in the earth and traveling six to 8,000 feet deep and slowly collecting minerals over a 4,000 year period before re-emerging at the surface. So the water is completely odorless and it's very clean because it gets up to about 143 degrees Fahrenheit any bacteria or viruses or things of that nature get killed off. And so by the time it emerges, you know, it's just this like really pure, delicious water. And so the park has actually created, we have like drinking fountains and jug fountains throughout the park where the water is collected through like an underground system of piping. Um, so that way everybody can drink the water for free when they're here. And additionally, the water is piped into these different bathhouses um, that exist on what we call bathhouse row. So, it, I mean, it's very neat, it's very interesting, um, but it definitely doesn't look the way it might have, say, 200 years ago. And it does serve this wonderful recreational and healthful purpose. Uh, there are many claims made for its therapeutic value, and we can get into that in, in a minute. But I'll tell you, Ashley, I have been to Yellowstone and mm -hmm. I've been to the thermal hot spots there in the park. Stunningly beautiful. You can't believe you're on Earth. There are moments when you think this is just otherworldly and you definitely detect the presence of sulfur. So I mm -hmm. get what you're talking about. When you have this pure water, there's something clearly distinct about what happens at hot springs. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, our springs here, we, we, they're called artesian springs, you know, so it's just like water coming up out of the water table, you know, but again, yeah, no sulfur, no volcanic activity. I mean, you would never guess if you just saw it and didn't touch it. I mean, I don't think you would guess that they were as hot as they actually are. As inviting as it is today to the many, many tourists who go there for reasons best known to themselves, and it starts with the beautiful views and, of course, the waters. What is the history, at least a capsule summary of it, Ashley, for Americans? And by that, I also mean American tribes and, of course, the Europeans that discovered these springs. Yeah, so um, our archaeological record here dates back about 3,000 years. So a lot of the early American Indian tribes that called this place home or even that traveled through here were tribes like the Osage, the Quapaw, the Caddo, and the Absentee Shawnee. And um, what we have learned is that they primarily traveled through here to harvest a very special type of rock called Novaculite. And so they would use this novaculite to create stones or to create, um, it's also called like whetstone, you know, to sharpen other tools. And so this was a really valuable place for them to come and collect material and then trade along these massive trade routes that extended all across North America with other tribes. And, you know, a bit later, you know, of course, that's like 3000 years ago to the early 1800s, but starting in the early 1800s, um, after the Louisiana Purchase, Benjamin Franklin actually sent a, two explorers, Dunbar and 
or the Hunter Dunbar expedition is what it was called. And they came specifically to the hot springs here because they had heard rumors of it. And when they arrived, they realized that there were already these rudimentary huts from French fur trappers that had been stopping here and possibly soaking in the hot springs. And after they their studies here, you know, they made their recommendations to Congress about how neat this place was. And basically from the time that it became a federal reservation and word spread, people started coming here. And originally they just, they built these really rudimentary huts, literally like slabs of wood. They would dig trenches in the mud to divert the hot springs to create places where people could soak. And naturally they would charge for people to soak in these springs because they had just invested all of this labor time. And over the years, as more and more people came and you know they sought relief here, people started building grander and grander bathhouses. And so today, you know, we have bathhouses that are maybe five or six generations old that people have been coming to soak in for you know medical reasons, for health reasons, um, to find relief. And for the longest time, Hot Springs was known as the American Spa. And one of the logos of the city was actually, we bathe the world. So yeah, wow. this, I mean, yeah, this has been a really popular place for that kind of thing. And going back, one thing I will say for the, the tribes, as I've read up a bit on this, this place, the tribes might have been rivals. They were competing tribes. But as I understand it, Ashley, they would lay down their weapons and enjoy these springs together. That was like the holy place and it was off limits to competition and warfare. <laughs> you know, that is um, that is something that is often said. Um, but sadly, I hate to burst the bubble here, um, but that was one of these like fantastical fails or tales that early people who had who had established bathhouses here would say as like um, as a lure for people to come and visit like, oh, you should come here. Even tribes don't commit warfare here. And they would even say the same thing about gangsters like, oh, even gangsters come here, but nobody fights because everybody respects the hot springs. Um, so sadly, you know, there is no actual like proof or, um, you know, the tribes themselves have not said that about their experiences here. Um, that was something that was completely fabricated. Oh, there we go. Busted. Yeah. I love this. Al Capone's been here. Come on down. You can get hydrated, but not ventilated. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Public relations will out. Let's face it. <laughs> excellent. So this park, this it includes portions of downtown Hot Springs, and it makes it one of the most accessible national parks, one of the most accessible of all. There are numerous hiking trails and camping areas what I noticed about national parks from trips I've made to various ones, including Yosemite, where I used to love to go, and I saw that get built up and, and some people would say overrun, but man, did that park change. Mm -hmm. And I think it happens to all of them. Zion National Park in Utah is another example. But when we talk about bathhouse row, we talk about the commercial uses of it, the recreational purposes, the therapeutic purposes, it seems to be whatever people will make of it when they get there, and or especially if they settle in the area. I'd like to know more. I'm sure our listeners would like to know this bathhouse row and this American spa concept. What is that like today? For example, are there remnant buildings that are open for business or are they more like historical monuments? 
Yeah, you know, honestly, it's a little bit of both of those things. Um, so, you know, we have these eight historic bathhouses that were all built between 1896 and 1926. And they were actively used exclusively as bathhouses until the late 1960s when bathing just became less popular. You know, as you can imagine, people started, I mean, we all had our, we all have our own bathrooms and bathtubs in our houses. So why would we, you know, make such a journey and pay all this money to literally sit in somebody else's bathtub? Um, so what has happened because these buildings are so beautiful and ornate and historical, they have all been adapted for modern reuse. So we have one bathhouse called the Superior Bathhouse, which has been converted into a restaurant and brewery. So they make beer from the thermal water itself. Oh, really? We have, yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, beer and root beer, I should add, for all the non-beer drinkers out there. And um, there's another bathhouse, the Hale, which has been converted into a boutique hotel. They have nine different rooms, and each room has its own private soaking tub that, and you know, they receive the thermal water, so it's a great place to stay. Um, we have another bathhouse, which serves as the Parks and Visitor Center. That's at the Fordyce. So if you wanted to tour a historic bathhouse, everything inside has been preserved from 1915. The Fordyce Bathhouse is the place to go, or even just to talk to a ranger. This is where we all hang out. We have another bath. We have actually two bathhouses, the Quapaw and the Buckstaff, that, that are still offering bathing services. The Quapaw is more of a modern day spa. They have like community soaking pools, private tubs you can rent. They do massages, facials, things of that nature. And the Buckstaff, they are actually the only bathhouse that has remained in operation consistently since they first opened in 1912. And they offer more of a historic experience where they will walk you through like a bathing session like one might have experienced in the early 1900s. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I know. It's really neat. And um, the Ozark Bathhouse is our park's cultural center. So every year we have an artist in residence program, and this is where we've hung up their art and it's managed by the Friends of Hot Springs National Park. And finally, we have the Lamar Bathhouse, which is our park store. It's called the Bathhouse Row Emporium. So, you know, today we have such a mixture of things available for people to experience. You know, on the outside, it looks like a historical monument, but for the most part on the inside, many of them have been completely renovated. And I would expect that would be the case. Absolutely. You're keeping up, you're improving, you're offering those touches of modernity. That's excellent. I wanted to say something before we get to the celebration itself, because there's a lot going on and, and we certainly want you to, to give us plenty of information about that. It seems to me that there was, with the therapeutic claims made for the hot springs, it seems that there was a movement of sorts, like an alternative medicine movement, whatever they called it back in the day, that had this quality of being people who followed another path. It was an alternative way of seeking health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that for here in Hot Springs, that was called hydropathy. It was actually a huge movement in the mid to late 1800s. And this is, I mean, this is before modern medicine existed. This is before penicillin even 
you know, registered as something to people. And so, I mean, you have to imagine, right, it's like the 1800s or even the early 1900s, we don't have wastewater systems or accessible clean water to most people's homes. We don't have bathtubs or bathrooms in our own homes. So sanitation and sanitary practices are at an all-time low. There is no medicine. So, you know, often people did have to resort to these alternative treatments. And so having a place like hot springs where there is ever flowing clean water and you're told to take a bath, like get clean. Um, and maybe this is the first time you've bathed. Maybe you only take a bath once a year or once a month if you're lucky. And then, you know, often you were told to go for a hike and do something that was good for your heart. So this place, I mean, people would often find such incredible relief, maybe simply because it was the first time they had experienced like clean sanitation and clean water. Um, and for others, you know, a lot of people came here with like arthritis or joint pain or leg pain. And so soaking in hot water, you know, it relieves a lot of that pressure on the joints and it feels really good. So, um, yeah, this, you know, this was a great place for people to seek alternative healing. But of course, you know, once penicillin and modern medicine and these things became available, bathing and hydropathy as a popular practice really started to decline. I can see where that would be the case. And so now, uh, if nothing else, it is certainly a, a hearty form of recreation and people love to go there for that purpose, for the pure enjoyment of it. Right. I mean, who doesn't love to sit in some warm water? <laughs> 100 years in. Ashley, tell us about what's going on. Now, you're the coordinator of all these festivities. What is up? <laughs> Oh man, what isn't up? We, you know, when we were looking at our 100th anniversary, we were like, well, you know, 100 years in, as a national park that only comes around once every 100 years. So we wanted to make a big deal about it. And we have events planned almost once a month, at least for the rest of the year. Um, we have a couple of year-long events like the Iron Ranger Challenge, which encourages people to conduct 100 miles of physical activity on Arkansas public lands. We have monthly photo contests. So if you've been to Hot Springs in the past or when you come here, um, if you take photographs, you can enter into these different themed monthly contests via social media. We also... Um, we have monthly events. The next one coming up is actually in April. On April 20th, we are celebrating our 189th anniversary as a federal or as being federally protected. So April 20th, 1832 is when we were made a reservation. And so we'll be celebrating with guided hikes and some um, informational talks throughout the park and probably some online content. In May, we'll be having a park-wide bio blitz in June, I'm really excited about this, we'll be having a 1921-themed block party. Oh. Yeah. In July, we'll be celebrating our furry companions with Bark Ranger Day, which is actually a program that the National Park Service has for dogs um, to learn how to be good bark ranger stewards of national parks. In August, we'll be having a junior ranger celebration. September, we'll have a thermal springs festival. In October, we'll have an archaeology day. And in November, we'll be having a Park RX or like a Healthy Parks, Healthy People weekend celebration. 
you know, so we just, we tried to pack as much into a single year as we could and find all the ways that we could celebrate 100 years of being a national park. It does sound very busy indeed and was something for just about everybody. They're in the place that was known at one time as the Valley of the Vapors. Mm-hmm. That's correct. There's, it's interesting to me that there was so much European influence in the remaining time that we have. Just want to make sure I get my historical facts straight. The Hot Springs area, was that actually part of the Louisiana Purchase? It was in 1804. So it had been owned by Spain, then it was ceded to France. There, uh, Maybe the Spaniards took it over and then back to France, and if France had to own it if uh, Napoleon was going to sell it off to America. There's, That's uh, I think right. it, it changed hands a lot. It did. I mean, hence, a, a lot of the surrounding names, even like um, the Washita Mountains, you know, that's a very French-derived name. And all around Arkansas, we can see these remnants of French history that still linger here. It is a magnificent place and so accessible. Not every national park is. The accommodations, is there something for every budget for in terms of dining and lodging? Oh, absolutely. Um, Hot Springs is such, the city of Hot Springs is such a popular tourist destination. Um, there's I mean, anything you can think of that exists here. Probably, you know, there's lake houses, there's tree houses, there's campgrounds, there's farmland that you can camp on. I mean, there's literally everything. And in the park itself, we have a campground called the Gulf of Gorge Campground, and that accommodates RVs. There's like full hookups there, so water, electricity, and even a dump station. And it also accommodates tent campers as well. And then, of course, in the park, we also have the Hotel Hale, which is a bit more upscale, but still, you know, there's something for everyone. Ashley Weymouth, you make it so inviting, telling the story of Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas. You are a park ranger. You are an anniversary, the anniversary coordinator for Hot Springs. I wish you 100% enjoyment and success during this centennial year. And thank you so much for sharing the story and the history of the park for our listeners today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Our pleasure. We are so delighted that you joined us once again today, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk as often as you do, along with Thomas and Becky Rapp, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drives will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. 
Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe.